What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about contentment. Yesterday, Aaron and I on the Christianity Now podcast talked about love bombing and flattery and a surefire way to guard against the predations of manipulators who manipulate through flattery and love bombing is contentment. Remember the eighth verse of Proverbs 27, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. If you are hungry, if you are quite frankly covetous, if you look at other people and compare yourself with other people and think to yourself, why can't I be that? Why can't I have that? They are better than me, or they are at least in that situation better than me. I wish I were like them. Then you are going to fall into the trap of being manipulated by flatterers and love bombers because even negative uh, reinforcement, it's going to feel like attention to you. So, anyway, we got 11 folks in thus far. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Remember, Christianity Now streams on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to YouTube. In the comments section, I put the article that I wrote based on yesterday's podcast. And uh, I also put a link to a video because I want to promote the YouTube channel. Uh, there's a link in the, in the, in the comment section, sorry, uh, explaining the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine. So what does the bread mean? What does the wine mean? And it's an excerpt. It's something I tried, uh, just trying to think, see what works. We had a long live stream about the difference between the Lord's Supper and the Catholic understanding of the Eucharist. But in that, I explained the Lord's Supper, the implements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine. And so I went in and I cut that part out of that very long live stream, and I got a 16-minute and 30-second video out of it. And so I decided to repurpose that and see if it would catch any traction. <clears throat> and for such a small YouTube channel as we have, it's it's done fairly well. Um, I think about all the juggernauts that are out there, and you can look at how far they've come from where they've started and how how long that they actually were under a hundred subscribers. Like like they like all of the big juggernauts, they were overnight successes that were years in the making. So diligence is the key. Anyway, that's all I've got um, as far as introduction. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> that's it. Matthew 6, 25. Do not worry. Yeah, don't, don't, don't beg trouble for tomorrow. Don't beg trouble from tomorrow for today. Tomorrow, well, now I can't remember how that goes. Don't. Bring tomorrow's trouble to today. Today has enough of its own trouble. I think that's the way that goes. All right. 
Let's go right into Proverbs 27. I've got some notes that I'm going to use. Now, normally I don't I don't stick as tightly to a script as I'm going to do for this for this podcast. But I am going to read the first eight verses of Proverbs 27, and then we're going to walk right down these verses. This is probably when it comes to practical passages. This is my favorite practical passage. Uh, this this section of scripture, I read it so often. It helps me so much just to think about these things. All right. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, and not thine own lips. A stone is heavy, and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The full soul loatheth an honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Folks, if we are not content, we will forget our place, we will wander, and then we will be like the little bitty baby bird that falls out of its nest and either dies upon impact with the ground or because of the chirping cries from a position of helplessness for the mother, the predators find that little bit, little baby bird and devour it. Hello, Sheila Cole. It's good to see you. So the best thing we can do is remember the lost or forgotten virtue of contentment. Contentment, I believe, like joy, is a virtue and it's commanded in scripture. That may be another podcast. All right. The folly of boasting about tomorrow. In my opinion, these eight verses are the golden text for contentment and for guarding against being manipulated through your emotions, such as flattery and love bombing. Life is uncertain. It is the height of foolishness to take pride in future plans without acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Let's go all the way to the book of James, and we'll notice a, a passage of Scripture. Hold on. Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. All right. <clears throat> Starting in verse 13, let's read James chapter 4. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. In other words, don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. And these men, these rich men, they make plans for the future all the time. And he's saying, "You're listen up. Listen to what I'm telling you, all you that say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. For what you ought to have said or what you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. And such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
Now, I've seen that verse taken out of its context, verse 17, and the way it's been explained in my hearing by people who are members of the Lord's church is give it, it, it teaches situational ethics. It teaches um, graded absolutism. It teaches that as long as you're ignorant, it's not sin. Folks, if if you break a law in ignorance, you've still broken a law and you've still committed sin. The context, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, if you can look out across this wide creation and you can understand that there is a higher power and that there is existential in your reality, of if you're, in your understanding of things, it would be outside of time and space, obviously. But if you can understand that there's a higher power, you need to include that higher power in your plans. To him that knows to do good and to doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you boast about tomorrow, if you say, I'm going to go in that far city and we're going to stay a year, buy, sell, and get gain, and you don't include God in those plans, if you don't acknowledge God's sovereignty, then you're in sin. I remember whenever I was training horses, I went to an Amish uh, compound, and on that Amish compound was a business called West Tennessee Leather. He made he made really, really good bridles, really, really good tack, and I, I loved it. I used him quite a bit. I bought a bunch of stuff off of him over the years. I went to the to the store, and the door was closed, and on the note was a rather lengthy note as far as notes go, and it talked about how he had gone to Missouri for to deal with some family issues, and, and at the end, he said, if the Lord wills, I'll be back on such and such, and I remember, I was like, oh, man, I, I, what's going on? Well, I walked up to the main house, and I, I was very careful because I was technically trespassing, but like you're taught to do whenever you grow up the way I did, you made your presence known. I was walking towards the house and I ho in the house and I was met by a few women and I said, I just read the note on the shop from Moses. It's none of my business. I, I just want to know, is everything okay? And they were just, well, of course everything is fine. What makes you think everything's not fine? He just had to go to Missouri to handle some business. And I said, well, it's because of how he ended the letter that he would come back if the Lord wills. And and I took that to mean that implies that he might not be back. And they they were just blown away by this. They was like, well, yeah, if you do anything, it's because the Lord wills. And, and we ought to think about that when we're planning ahead. We only we only we lay these plans and they only come to fruition if the Lord wills. Boy, wasn't I put in my place? <laughs> anyway, that's what James is talking about. And if we if if we are not content, if we have a hungry soul, then we're going to boast about tomorrow because what we have today isn't good enough. And we're going we're gonna to boast about our future plans. 
And that's why, again, I'm I'm really careful, and I, I'm really I I don't like talking a whole lot about the Christianity Now brand and future plans, because I don't want to come off as if I'm just future faking or if I'm just blowing smoke. And quite frankly, there's a there's a psychological um, bend to this. If you vocalize your plans to your friend group, I need to lose weight. I don't know, man. I, I may I may die weighing four hundred pounds. It seems like for the last three four years, I have bounced around four hundred pounds. I really need to be bouncing around 300. That's my healthy weight, according to the doctor, 300 pounds, which I know what you're thinking. Tony, there's no way your healthy weight's 300 pounds. I'm six foot two, and I'm broad-shouldered, and, like, my bones are thick. Like, my shin bone is just thick. My, my radius and ona, they're just thick. At... 20% body fat. The doctor the doctor says at 20% body fat, you'll be 300 pounds. That's your goal. Yeah, you could be 280, but to between 280 and 300 is, is ideal for you. Like, okay, well, that's, you know, sounds good to me. Well, if I get on here and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to lose this weight, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And then all of you good folks, because you're my friends, start putting it in the chat. Tony, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. You're so excellent. You're so great. I'm so thankful. You're I've prayed for you. I'm so proud of you for taking this step. Well, I have a, a how would you say, a serotonergic or a serotonic and a dopaminergic, uh, serotonin and dopamine. I get all of these hormones and stuff going in my brain, all these endorphins. And it diminishes my drive to actually implement the plans that I have said that I'm going to implement because I have received my reward up front. And that's a false contentment. In fact, that's a vicious cycle because what happens hey, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go on the keto diet. I'm going to go on the carnivore diet. I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to go on the piscatarian diet. I'm going to go on the starvation diet. I don't know, just whatever. Oh, that's great. You're amazing. You're so strong. I'm so glad you're doing this. And then I, I get rewarded and I feel good. So I don't feel the need to dig in and grind and do that hard work. But then that that dopamine and serotonin rush, it, it 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 diminishes. And now I'm back chasing the dragon. As assuredly, if I tried cocaine or heroin for the first time, and then I have to come back and I gotta do it even more. So it's a it's a vicious cycle. Because now when that when that I come down off of that high, now I'm back to being out malcontent and depressed, dissatisfied with my weight, and then I go right back again, but then I double down. And eventually, you good people, you catch it and you say, "Well, I'm, I'm, you know, if 
You know, this is the third time this year he's talked about losing weight. So instead of getting on there and telling him how awesome he is, we're just going to gray rock him. We're just like, hey, man, it's good. You know, hope it works out for you this time. And then I'm seeking more of the, Tony, that's awesome. You're great. That's amazing. But all I get was, well, I hope it works out for you this time. And then I start feeling resentment towards my friend group. Then I'm isolated. You see how that works? So don't boast about what you're going to do tomorrow. Put God in your plans and get your validation internally. Maybe confide in, in one very, very close individual. For me, I might go to my wife. Actually, I probably wouldn't even go to my wife. I'd probably go to a couple of buddies that I have because I, I need a I need a I need I would need a a, a male pers- perspective from this. I would need to go to one of my male friends and be like, "Hey, man, I, I've let myself go. I, I've got to lose weight, and my, I want my male friend to not be like, "Oh no, you're perfect just the way you are." First off, that's that's unloving and unkind. I would want my male friend to be like, yeah, you let yourself go. You're a fat slob. You need to change that. It's just the truth. So we don't need to boast about tomorrow because boasting about tomorrow and always thinking about tomorrow robs us, robs us of our peace in the moment. And quite frankly, it robs us of our drive to function in the moment. We also need, number two, to value praise from others over self-praise. Now, this might seem contradictory to the first point because we're talking about internal validation. We need to be humble. Remember, we're talking about contentment. There is a movie called A Knight's Tale, and I'll briefly, I'll give you a synopsis of the movie. William Thatcher. Hello, Sword and Pearls. Good to see you. William Thatcher was sold off into indentured servitude by his father to a knight. And this knight, over the years, um, grew old and he actually died while William Thatcher was in his employ. And instead of what they were going to do, William and company, which was rob him, in other words, take his armor and horse and try to sell it and then go home, William put on the armor and adopted the persona of Ulrich von Lichtenstein of Gelderland, and he started competing in the jousting tournaments and the sword tournaments, and it's a really interesting uh, story about found family. His nemesis was Prince Agomar. In other words, there's there's a foxy lady, both Ulrich von Lichtenstein, Will Will Thatcher, and Prince Agomar, they were after the same woman. The girl liked Will, but the prince had traded with her daddy 
and and all is lost, it seems. Well, the prince is called off to war. The prince defeated Ulrich von Lichtenstein or Will Thatcher. And it shows a montage of Will Thatcher rising in the ranks in the absence of his nemesis, his most worthy opponent, most talented opponent. Now, Agamar comes back, and you have a scene where Will defeats a very, very good jouster, a very, very good knight, and Agamar asks his advisor, what do you think of that man? Talking about Ulrich von Lichtenstein, i.e. Will Thatcher. How would you beat him? To which his advisor, and this is the, this is the, all of that to get to this point. His advisor said, how would I beat him? With a stick while he slept in his bed. But with a lance on horseback. I do not believe that man can be beaten. I've got chill bumps. That is so awesome. That is the epitome of let another man praise thee and not thine own lips. You just do what you do. It's just another day in the office. I remember whenever I'd ride, I'd ride wild horses. I rode this one stupid filly. She bucked up one side of the arena. 275 foot, but down the other. It's just another day at the office. And when I finally got her lined out, there was people there watching, and I handed her off to the groom, and one of the one of the people there watching says, Tony, I don't understand how you do that. That's so amazing. That's awesome. How, how do you... How, how do you are you not scared? Like, yes, I'm scared. Well, I thought horses would would act up if you if you um, would bully you if they if they could sense you're you're being scared. My response was, I lie to the horse. I don't let the horse know I'm scared. I just do. And like, it was it's it's just it's so much more meaningful when you're not out fishing for compliments. It's like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I remember, so I'm the quote-unquote preacher where I attend worship. When I meet somebody out on the street, I try my best to never, ever tell them I'm the gospel preacher. In other words, when you come worship with us, I'm the guy that you're going to be listening to. I want them to be surprised by that. And it's because I like so much. Whatever, whatever that is, the story about a knight's tale, Will Thatcher, Prince Agomar, how would you beat him with a lance and on the back of a horse? I don't think he can be beaten. I, I want that. That's what we should be after. Like, I can't wait. It's going to come up one of these things, one of these days before I die. I'm going to be in a situation where somebody with, a deep knowledge of how to deal with horses is needed and nobody's going to know it because I, I don't talk about it unless I talk about it like on the live stream or, you know, I have a sermon illustration. I have a few sermon illustrations, but I'm just going to step up. And I'm going to be able to, to handle it. 
And that, that's a very masculine thing. Like men, that's what men think about. They think about sitting around saving the day. They think about just doing something that's spectacular and exceptional, but doing it in such a way as if they come off like it's no big deal, but everybody else is amazed. I'll tell you one more, then we'll and then we'll go to the next one. I cannot remember the name of this sitcom, but D.L. Hughley, uh, he was the main character, and he was living upper middle class. His neighbor, he was in a quote unquote white neighborhood. D.L. Hughley is black with a black family. Well, it turned out his best friend is white, and the best friend is like, you know, tall, big like me, and a little bit of a an oaf. And it made it was a really good sitcom, if I remember correctly. But there was this one episode where um, they found an electric guitar with an amp, and everybody was kind of making fun of the big goofy white guy. And the big goofy white guy says, "Well, the reason I bought it and I didn't want to get rid of it is because I always thought about practicing and getting really, really good, but not telling anybody at all." And then whenever I'm at a party somewhere and and there happens to be an electric guitar and there's no entertainment, I could I could be like, hey, I'll 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 play around a little bit. And then I play around, but I absolutely shred and everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. Did you know he could do that? That's a that's a common fantasy. That's that's so such a common fantasy. And it is so awesome to have that happen to you that it that it makes its way into popular culture. So, so we need to value the praise of others and don't think so highly of ourselves. Don't brag about what we're doing. What do we know about braggarts? The fellow that brags about being really, really tough is probably not the toughest man in the room. Now, I will tell you this, that episode of D.O. Hughley, in, true, in, in, tr- in the true spirit of that fantasy, everybody laughed at the big white dude and left the room. And as the credits were rolling, that big white dude picked up that electric guitar and just went ham on it. I mean, he shredded it. And then he kind of chuckled to himself, put it back, and just let it. In other words, he, he, he was, he was sure, self-assured enough that he didn't even feel like he needed to tell his close family members that were just making fun of him. Like, no, you don't understand. I have practiced, and I have gotten good. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go there, and let's pull a verse. I think this is very interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I know we've got some some comments. Um, Strategic thinking, absolutely. Uh, the Sword and Pearl says, love it. Good morning, Terry Crooks. Hello, Scott Wall. Good to see you. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Where are we at here? Where's my notes? 18. This, this is only tenuously connected to the point at hand. Listen to this. Well, hold on a second. Oh, that's 11. No wonder. I thought, what have I done? For he, for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So there were some issues in um, in Corinth. And basically what Paul is saying, I'm going to pull this verse out of this context a little bit, but 
uh, basically what Paul is saying is, listen, you you folks are, are, are commended in your own eyes and your mouth is saying that, that you're commending yourself. But the problem is what you say about yourself doesn't matter. It's what other people say about you. Well, it's what God says about you. Now, when it comes to what you do, I can, I can brag and say, well, I'm a YouTuber. I'm a content creator. I'm an online influencer. Okay, that's fine. What do other people consider me? Y- you got it? Like, okay, you can, you can climb one mountain, and you'll always be a mountain climber. Nobody can take it away from you. But you're really not a mountain climber unless other people consider you a mountain climber. What do I mean by that? How do people identify you? For instance, do you write poetry? Yes. Well, then you're a poet. Yeah, you can call yourself a poet, but you're not really a poet until everybody else says you're a poet. I hope that makes sense. I don't consider myself I don't consider myself um a good orator. Other people say that I am. I I, I try to be sheepish. I try to be humble whenever something like that happens, like or respectful. I should I humble. I try to be humble all the time. If you can you can tell I'm uncomfortable just talking about that. I probably should have thought of another example to use besides me. But my point is this. We live in this world and we function in this world. It doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what we say. How do people look at us and how do people consider us? If I'm a gospel preacher... I can call myself a gospel preacher. I can preach every Sunday. But if the congregation doesn't see me as the preacher, then it's it's it's, it's rather worthless. We need to we need to not boast about what we're doing. We need to let other people talk about it. Yeah, and that's all I'm going to say about that. What's going on, Missy Malone? I, I'm doing well, by the way. I'm doing well. All right. We need to understand anger and its effect. This is from verses 3 and 4 of Proverbs 27. In fact, we'll go there. I'm going to read the 3 and 4. A stone is heavy and weight is f- and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. You cannot appease the anger of fools. Wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? You also cannot hold up to the scrutiny of the envious. So we need to advocate for honest communication and constructive criticism within relationships as a means to genuine improvement and growth. So for instance, Tony, you and Aaron have had this Christianity Now podcast for quite a while and your YouTube channel is still very, very small. Do you know why it's small? I mean, actually I do. It's because our content isn't good enough for it to be big. We need to do better with our content. We need to do better with 
putting out more content. Does that make sense? Good morning, Neil Abbott. Now, however, when I, hold on, when I look at people around, people who are in the same space that I am, what they want to do is they'll say, well, my YouTube channel just isn't growing and and I go live on Facebook and I don't get but 15 or 20 folks and, you know, maybe five or six folks. It's just because the algorithm is working against me. Facebook is working against me. And if you tell them, well, no, it's not that Facebook is working against you or the algorithm is working against you. It's your product is not good enough. Or your product is good enough and you haven't figured out how to get your product in front of the people that'll like it. I think Aaron and I have a product that's good enough to have a large following, but we have to do more best practices to get our product in front of the people that will like it. I mean, we have a very loyal audience now. And it just, I think it's just going to keep growing and growing. And we're doing some things behind the scenes to make sure that our audience grows and grows. But if we had a bigger budget, we could do things that could up the production value. It's, it's, it's possible, Sword and Pearl. Sword and Pearl says, Tony, I think YouTube is shadow bands, you guys, because they have low tolerance for the truth. God will get the right eyes on it because he's in control. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but I do know of, of people who are in this space on YouTube that have, you know, 125,000, 250,000 followers, and they'll have a couple hundred people in a live stream, each live stream that they do. And, and again, is it, you know, we, in other words, we have to be honest because I can look at them and I can say, Ooh, our production quality isn't as good as theirs. Um, we don't have the same practices as far as search engine optimization. And I mean, they, they may have a budget where they can hire a social media manager, stuff like that is my point. And, and I, Pearl, I'm not saying you're wrong. In fact, I, I agree with you hundred percent, but if I'm being honest with myself, there's still things that Aaron and I could do to upswing that anyway. Um, We, in relationships, we don't need to let the sun go down on our wrath. We don't need to give place to the devil for a minute. We have to resolve, and that's Ephesians 4, 26, 27. We have to give place to wrath. You give it to God. Uh, don't, don't give place to the devil. Uh, don't, don't give a place to the devil. Don't let the devil in through your wrath and anger. Don't look at somebody that's doing better than you and and be angry because they are and envious because they are. And if what I see whenever people, here's the thing, nobody who is doing more than you, nobody who, who is ahead of you is going to be throwing shade your way. They're not going to be mad at what you're doing. They're not going to be envious of what you're doing. It takes too much energy away from what they're doing and the success they have to turn around 
and cast shade at you. It's all the people that are behind you, all the people that are not doing as much as you that are going to be casting shade. I will give you a perfect example for this. It's in the realm of personal evangelism. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I say that because we are commanded to, to go out and, and preach a gospel to every creature. We have to be evangelistic. There are many different ways to do that that are not legislated. In other words, if I wanted to, I could I could fly to the middle of the continent of Africa and I could start preaching the gospel there and I could fulfill my obligation of the Great Commission. Or I can walk right across the street and start talking to people in my community and fulfill my obligation of the Great Commission. You know what else I can do? I can sit down and talk into a microphone and a camera and preach the word and fulfill my obligation to the Great Commission. I can have door-knocking campaigns. I can have letter-writing campaigns. I can do all of these things. And all of those fall under the purview of going into all the world and preach a gospel to every creature, teaching them to observe all you know the you know the bit. You 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 know the thing. Anyway, um my point is this. I have seen and I have been attacked in the past for the method, for my chosen method of evangelism. I have seen people attacked and berated for their chosen method of evangelism. Here's the way I handle that. Thank you, Sword and Pearl. Sword and Pearl says, you guys are doing great. Keep it up. I appreciate you. So, I go to this person, I say, so you don't like the way I'm choosing to do uh, evangelism? No, I think it's, I don't think it's a good way. Well, would you tell me everything that you are doing to fulfill your obligations to the Great Commission? Crickets. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing anything. I need to be doing more. So my reply is, well, I think I like what I'm doing right now better than what you're doing right now. So I think I'll keep my way up. We need to understand. You cannot appease the anger or the wrath of fools. You cannot stand up to the scrutiny of the envious. And you do not need it. You need, you need to be content so you don't feel like you need to try. Because those envious, foolish people are the ones who are going to flatter and who are going to love bomb, and they're going to try to ride your coattails. It's a fine line between setting back and accepting things as they are and working to make things better in the congregation. Absolutely. In fact, there's the key, working to make things better. Don't just show you, if you, if the gospel preacher where you are, you might not like how he does things. My suggestion is zip your lips, observe the Passover, and just pass over that, and you start doing what you think he should be doing. And when you're successful, 
go to him and say, hey, here's something that's worked for me and it might work for you. And then you model that behavior. Yeah, good, good one, Scott Beck. All right. In contentment, we need to talk about the importance of open rebuke over hidden love. That's verse five, by the way. Open rebuke is better than secret love. We need to advocate. Oh, I've already done this one. Except I, I did it in the wrong place. I was supposed under under understanding anger and its effects. I was supposed to compare the heaviness of a fool's wrath to the destructiveness of anger, highlighting the need for emotional self control. I really I really messed that up. <laughs> anyway, I, I was wondering why it felt so awkward. Anyway, I, I think I, I think I come out of it pretty good. So the importance of open rebuke over hidden love. We need to we, we do need to advocate for honest communication and constructive criticism within relationships, and it's a means to genuine growth and improvement. So as Scott said, it's a fine line between setting back and accepting things as they are. So let's say you do have this gospel preacher that you you don't like the way he's doing things. Maybe he's not as effective as you think he is, or he should be. Uh, Sheila Coe says, Tony, it may take time, but God is good and his promises and will supply the increase. I appreciate that, Sheila, and I, I believe every word of it, sister. And I think I, I'm, I'm grateful to everybody in this live stream because your interaction with the content is what grows this channel. And for those of you that, that hate watch, that just watch to try to catch me in something that you can take out of context and, and ruin my reputation, which you're out there. Thank you for that as well. All it does is just help me out as far as the material goes and help me out as far as my reach goes. So thank you. All right. Verse five, open rebuke is better than secret love. Leviticus 19, 17 has some interesting instruction. Obviously, this is the old law. There's no direct application to us, but this verse came to mind. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Here's the idea. We live in a society that is so absolutely confrontation ad adverse that we prefer nice, which is not loving, to kind, which is very loving. Kind is useful. Nice is worthless. Let me say that again. Nice is worthless. Kind is worth full, <laughs> worthy. I remember, I, look, one of my guilty pleasures is I love, love, love Dragon's Den. I do not like the United States version of Shark Tank. I do not like any other country's version of Dragon Den, Dragon's Den. 
I do not like Canada's version of Shark Tank. But I really like Britain's version of Shark Tank. They were the OG. And my favorite dragon, excuse me, I said Shark Tank, Dragon's Den. My favorite dragon is Duncan Bannantyne. Duncan on the show one time, of course, what happens? Entrepreneurs come up, they give a pitch, and the dragons decide if and how much they want to invest. Duncan Bannantyne, after hearing a particularly terrible idea, when it was his turn to speak, he goes, well, I can be nice or I can be kind. Let me be nice first. Your idea is wonderful. You're going to make a lot of money with your idea, and you should keep going down the road you're going because you're a good person and your idea is good and this product is good. That's nice. Now, let me be kind. You need to immediately, if not sooner, pull the plug on this. Go back to the drawing board and get some other idea because this idea and this product is terrible. You have lost the money you've already sunk into it, and you will lose any money. You will sink into it because this will never be a profitable venture. I'm out. Which one was more profitable for the people to hear? Incidentally, he was right. It was a terrible idea. All of the dragons agreed, and society agreed because they never did get up and running. It is much more useful for someone to be kind than to be nice. What happens is people are nice, but they harbor hatred in their heart. When people are kind, it's very possible that they will not be nice because they have to confront you. But that is kind and that is helpful. So open rebuke is better than secret love. I love you, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I love you, and I'm going to help you be better. All right. Verse 5. We need to understand the significance of sincere friendship. I said verse 5. This is verse 6. It's number 5. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds of a friend are different from the kisses of an enemy. The kisses of an enemy are equal to flattery and love bombing. Your enemy can come up to you, well, your enemy can come up to you at, let's say, polishing the pulpit. And they can shake your hand and tell you how much they love you. They can hug your neck. They can do all this, that, and the other. But they can harbor ill will against you in their heart. They can actively work against you behind the scenes. They can call people you're associated with and try to triangulate and get you separated from your friend group. I've had it happen to me. You'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, at who it was. 
this is pro that this person is probably the one the the person that taught me the most about love bombing and flattery. Tony, you're so wise. Tony, you're just your brain is amazing. Tony, you think deeper than everybody else. Tony, you are you you have such a good grasp on the on the scriptures. Tony, you're so amazing. Tony, you're so awesome. Tony, you're so smart. One little bitty thing they don't like. Now they're behind the scenes. They're working against me. Folks, sincere friendships. I have had to cull people from my life. The reason I've culled them from my life, if, if you are no longer my friend, there's a reason for that. It's because you are a net negative on my life. I can only afford to have people in my sphere of influence that bring value to my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The people that I have in my life, I'll use Aaron Dotson. If I called up Aaron Dotson, I told him something and it was a bad idea, he'd tell me. If I said something really bad and Barry Odell got wind of it, he'd call me. And there's a few others. But you know what they don't do? They don't blow smoke up my butt. They don't, they don't give me kisses in private. They don't flatter me. They don't tell me how awesome my sound is. On my they don't tell me how great I am as an orator. They don't No. But we have this relationship. I've forgotten why I put this verse here. Let's go, let's go to Psalm 141 and let's see if, uh, if I can't remember why I put this. 141, verse 5. Oh, that's 144. 141. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me. It shall be an excellent oil which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Folks, If Barry Odell, if I did something that I shouldn't do, I would pray that one of my good friends would call me and tell me. You need friends like that in your life. If you're content, you will keep friends like that in your life that will tell you like it is. Instead of having a bunch of flying monkeys around you that are just yes men that only repeat back what you tell them. I need to work on grooming more. I need to get my tooth fixed. I need to lose weight. I do not believe in tough love. Usually people who claim they're using tough I don't know. I we'd have to we'd have to come to a definition of terms. Um you've got to be real careful what your relationship is with somebody before you're blunt with them. 
Like, I don't know you from Adam's uncle. I wouldn't call you up and tell you you're fat. And I wouldn't want you to call me up and tell me, Tony, you, you, you make a pretty good podcaster, but you're too fat. I wouldn't want you to do that. Like, well, Tony, I'm just giving you tough love. No, you're, you're being a butthole. However, <laughs> if in the, if in the live stream, I said, Hey guys, all of you here, Gotcha. Now it's kind of Neil. I thought that's what you were. Yeah. They're tough, but not loving. Yeah, I get it. Um, here's the thing. If I put, if I said, Hey, can every one of you listening to this put two things that I can do to improve in order to be a better podcaster, a better live streamer in order to get the material out to more people. If, if, and Neil, I'm going to pick on you because you're the fella that put the comment. So if Neil put it in the comment section, well, you're fat. Nobody takes fat people seriously. Now, look, there's some truth to that. You may tell you how I know there's truth to it because I get comments like, well, I got a comment on a video not too long ago. Let me, let me show, let me, let me go in here and see if I can find it. I can't. Um, boom. Oh, hold on, hold on. Bear with me, bear with me. Um, I got to change over to Christianity Now business page. And I'm going to roll down. I'm going to get this comment. I want to get it verbatim. Sorry, this may be too long. Um, so it was on a short that I shared that I, that I cut from one of our live videos. I'll get it here in a second. Come on. Boy, we've been inundating the page with content. Not, not in a bad way, I don't think. All right, right here. Let me see. Yeah, comments. Why is it not letting me in here? Oh, good grief. This is going. Well, this is, this, this absolutely shut down everything in my computer. Oh, if I had a bunch of money, I'd just buy a new laptop. All right. Most relevant, uh, hidden by this page. All right. So here, here's what I said. Go into all the world and preach a gospel to every creature. So uh, you can go anyhow you want to go, but what you can't do is tell other people how to go. That, that's the clip. And then this one fella commented, what you can't do is push back from the table and enjoy a salad. Folk, that's funny, but it's also hurtful. I'm not stupid. I know I'm fat. Fat people are not taken as seriously as thin people. One of the things that I can do to help be a better podcaster and YouTuber is lose 100 pounds and fix my tooth and groom my beard better because appearance matters. Now, if I put it in the comments, if I put it out there and said, hey, can every one of y'all give me two things that I can do to be a better podcaster, better presenter, all this, that, and the other, and if Neil comments and says, well, you're too fat, people don't take fat people seriously, 
Neil, why would you say that to me? Well, that's just tough love. No, it's not. That's just tough. That's just unless really you, you just wanted to insult me. Now, what Neil could do, and again, I'm just picking on Neil because he did the, he, you know, he's got the remark or he put the comment. Um, what Neil could do to be kind is, well, Tony, appearances matter. And I know you've mentioned it before, but I think, I think that you'll start getting more and more engagement and more and more views as you get closer to your goal weight. All right. The same message was delivered, but one was kind and was kind in relation to my feelings. And the other was, well, you're, I don't know what you would call the other tough love, but not loving. If that makes any sense. Anyway, good comment, Neil. Um, now let me, let me shut this down and get back. Yeah, man. I don't know what happened. If I, like I said, if I had a, uh, I, I need them. I've got a computer. It's awesome. But my setup, I kind of need a laptop as well, but we don't need it, need it. So don't any of y'all get a wild hair. Um, where are we at? Let me get back to my, to, to my notes. Um, so faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Be very, very careful to people who come on strong and are nice but are not kind. Yeah. John the Baptist was described as a rough-looking man. His message hit his mark, though. Message, not appearance. Yeah, but again, remember, John the Baptist had issues because of his appearance. And, and in fact, it was, um, well, in Matthew 11, Jesus actually talked about it. Let's see. Verse 16. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? Matthew 11. It is like children sitting in the markets and calling to their fellows and saying, We have piped to you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil or he's demented. Well, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man that's gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified in her children. Sheila, what you're saying is wisdom is justified in her children. In other words, regardless of what you look like, the message is the message, and that is absolutely correct. Obviously, it's correct because it's Bible. Like, it's, like I can Bible that, you got me? But we have to acknowledge reality. And quite frankly, if I was back wearing a size 36 in the pants, maybe a size, you know, 54 athletic in my coat, close-trimmed beard, good-shaved head, fixed my tooth, wore some better-looking glasses than these, folks, it would just be different. However, back to the Scripture, there would be some people that would say, well, Tony, you just look too polished. It's kind of like that old adage with a gospel preacher. If a gospel preacher buys a vehicle, if he buys one that's too nice, all the people are like, well, I can't believe 
he's wasting the Lord's money like that. And if he buys one that's not nice enough, the people say, well, I can't believe he would represent the congregation by driving around that old jalopy junk-looking car. The very idea. So he's got to buy one that's just bad enough and just good enough to please all of the people. You see how that works? <laughs> good good comment there, Sheila. That was really uh, and Neil Abbott and Sheila, y'all, y'all made I think I think y'all made the podcast for today. Good, good discussion. And that segues right in to um the final uh verses, the crux of the matter, verses seven and eight. Satisfaction and contentment are affected by one's circumstances. All right. Terry Crooks. Hey, Scott. Man, thank you so much. Scott says, sorry I hadn't commented. I am getting the schedule uh, ready for the next two months of services. Love you, brother, and all the work you do in this kingdom. Thank you so much. Sheila, you're right. And and remember, well, let me read. So Sorry, let me read the comment for those that are just listening. If I listened to you or not listened to you on the basis of appearance, I'd have to reevaluate my priorities and soul. I agree with that, and that's the way it, quote-unquote, should be, but not everything is as it should be. And incidentally, there are unconscious biases that people have, you know? And, and this has been proven. I mean, it's it's just reality. It's It doesn't matter. You're always... You can you can you can be Jesus and and try to be a man of the people, eating and drinking with folks and being a part of society, or you can be like John and try to be a, a hermit living outside of society, looking rough and stuff like that. And you're just just you're not going to please everybody. Is the idea, which is why you need to be content, which is why Proverbs twenty seven one through eight so important. You know. To, to the people that think I need to lose, well, I know I need to lose 100 pounds, but to the people that don't take me seriously because I'm missing a tooth and I'm 100 pounds overweight, I can't do anything for you. You're not my people. So you don't affect me. And buddy, how? They get mad whenever they figure that out. I've actually told a person, I don't care enough about you to have this conversation with you. And of course, he pearl clutched and he, you don't care about me. I can't believe you as a Christian can say of another Christian that you don't care about them. That's not what I said. I said, I don't care about you enough to have this conversation with you. So my, my point is, if someone doesn't listen to me because I'm 100 pounds overweight and I'm missing a tooth and I say things funny and I do extemporaneous speech all the time. In other words, I don't do a lot of specific preparation. Um, they're just not my people. They're, they're not the people I can deal with. And if, if I don't know, anyway, that's, I don't want to belabor the point. It's a really good segment for this show though. And I think it was good quality content. Let me get Terry Crooks here, but Sheila, you're right. I'm not arguing with you whatsoever. That is absolutely the way it should be. I'm just, it's not, just not, not everything happens the way it should. A sister often received complaints about her attire from many other sisters. However, when, we, when she wore a dress that was 
that she clearly wanted me to compliment, I remained silent. Our taste and fashion were quite different. Despite my hesitation, she noticed my lack of praise and demanded a compliment. Oh, man, I'd be the most obstinate person there. I, I wouldn't give a compliment on that dress if a person demanded it. Anyway, sorry, Terry, I'm just feeling what you're feeling. <laughs> Finally, I asked her directly, do you like your dress? She said, yes, and everyone likes it. My response was simple. Then that's good enough. Sometimes once you compliment someone, they keep looking for it. Oh yeah. Once you, once, once you have, once you have shown yourself to be a well, people want to go to the well all the time. All right. Let me read these last two verses of Proverbs 27, uh, seven and eight. The full soul loathes the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Obviously, we're going to go to Philippians chapter four. We we just you you knew that we were going to go to Philippians chapter four, talking about contentment. Oops, do you remember where I put Philippians? Ephesians, Philippians. All right. Excuse me. And you know where I'm going. Listen to verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, that's good stuff. We need to learn contentment in any situation. We need to be like Terry Crooks there who, what, do you like your dress? Yes. Then why do you need me to compliment it? You know, one of the, one of the, one of the most difficult things, one of the biggest hurdles, and I, I don't I'm stuck on weight today, but one of the biggest hurdles keeping me from losing weight, I really like me. I don't know, man. I'm just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not immobile. I feel good in my joints. I feel good in my bones. I get around well. I'm, I'm lithe for a 46 year old. You know, I have spring in my step. I mean, the, 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 the biggest hurdle to losing weight is I carry it so well. And I, I I feel good about me. I like me. That's why I haven't gone and spent the probably fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars it's going to take to fix my tooth. I like me. That's why. I, I don't know. Biggest hurdle into into me losing weight is, is contentment. So there is a I guess there is a a, a a warning about contentment. A caveat, you know, make sure your contentment is valid, you know, like don't, don't go live in a box under a bridge and be like, well, I'm just content. I mean, we have to orient ourselves towards the highest possible good and live towards that. So if you're living a life commensurate with the divine precepts, examples, and commandments of God, then you can rest comfortable in that godly contentment. And it don't matter. No, nothing that anybody can say can harm you whatsoever. 
But if you're delusional, then contentment's a very, very bad thing. In other words, if you're not sober-minded, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Social media is rife with people seeking validation. Absolutely, Scott Beck. Proverbs 27, 1 through 8, if everybody in the world, this is one of those shoulds, everybody should be as self-actualized as Proverbs 27, 1 through 8, but not everybody is. But everybody should be. And if everybody were, Scott, I don't think there'd be any social media. I don't think there'd be any social media. We need to apply the wisdom of Proverbs 27, 1 through 8 to cultivate a life of humility, contentment, and genuine relationships. Be honest with people. Somebody looks, if, 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 if your friend looks at you and says, hey, does this dress make me look fat? If it makes her look fat, you better tell her. If you don't, you don't love her. Now, don't do like I do. You know, my wife, she's eating a Twinkie, and she says, does this dress make me look fat? Be like, no, honey, that Twinkie does. That's mean. <laughs> Neil Abbott, that, that, that's not tough love. That's just tough. My wife, uh, <laughs> she, she doesn't. <laughs> that's never happened, by the way. Um, but the point is, be real with people. Be secure enough in yourself that you can be real with people and you can handle real people being around you. Be content enough in your own skill and your own abilities that whenever a friend criticizes in a healthy way, in a loving way, you can take it and you can you can take that gift and internalize it and be better for it. Folks, that's all I've got. Proverbs 27, 1 through 8 is probably my favorite utility passage in the Bible. It's got everything you need as far as living this life as far as building a basis. Now, I mean, obviously you can't, the, the wisdom is not there in Proverbs 27, one through eight to, you know, be religious, uh, to, to obey the gospel, stuff like that. But if I don't boast about what I'm going to do tomorrow, if I don't boast about what I'm doing now, if I don't try to appease the anger of fools nor stand up to the scrutiny of the, envious, if I don't try to keep around me just a bunch of yes men, then I will live my life in contentment and I will be able to know my place. My place is in the nest. But if I'm hungry, I'm going to wander out of that nest and I'm going to be devoured by the evil one. Learn the forgotten attribute of contentment. Virtue is the word. Learn the forgotten virtue of contentment and your life will be much better off. Folks, that's all I've got here. God bless every one of you. 
Thank you so much for the comments today that made for such good conversation. At least I hope they did. I feel like they did. Remember, Tony, for your health, I pray you get to a healthy weight. Uh, that has zip to do with the spreading of the word of God. Either way, keep on keeping on, brother. I appreciate it. And, and that's another problem. The doctor didn't say these words, but in effect said, I can't believe you're this fat and this healthy. I've got good blood pressure. I've got good cholesterol. I've got good circulation. It's just crazy. Um, anyway. But yes, that's, I, I appreciate those prayers, and I would pray that everybody would pray that way. Uh, if you would like to support the show monetarily, there's ways to do that in the show notes. You can go to Patreon. You can go to uh, uh, Substack and do $5 a month. You can also just send some money to near churches at Gmail. It all helps, and we're greatly appreciative. Uh, we got things working in the background, cooking in the background. I don't want to boast about them. I don't want to talk about them until we get them implemented. Uh, do me a favor also, go to Christianity Now streams and, and subscribe if you hadn't. And if you already have, go to Christianity Now streams and share some of those little six-second shorts that we have. And that's it. God bless every one of you that's been Tony Brew with Cogitations. Be sure to subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and we'll catch you on the flip side.